Welcome to Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage. I'm Erin, and I'm here with my husband, Greg. We've been married for almost 31 years. We're marriage counselors, and we lead the marriage team here at Focus on the Family. Yeah, and today we're covering something so important that really every couple should be aware of this, even if they're not experiencing it. And we're talking about abuse. Yeah, and this is something that's so sensitive and can be so hard to discuss. But it's because often it's even hard to define what is it. So many people will ask, like, I don't, does this meet criterion? So my definition of abuse in marriage is defined as behavior designed to gain or maintain power and control over a spouse using physical, sexual, emotional, economic or psychological actions or threats of action that influence the other person. Yeah, in in violence against a spouse, I mean, we want to make it so clear here. Focus on the family. Uh, Aaron and I believe that that's never justified. Mm-hmm. This is sinful. Often it's a crime as well. And, and we really believe that this type of severe ongoing mistreatment is, is never, never, ever God's intent for marriage. You know, abuse in, in any relationship or under any circumstance is never condoned. In the Bible, and I think at times people try to use certain scripture verses to justify, and, and that's not that's flat, not true. Because mm-hmm. yeah, really, in such situations, that we 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 would always urge someone who's being abused to seek safety, to mm-hmm. adopt a, a zero tolerance policy towards the abuse, and really then consult with a Christian counselor to determine, okay, what, what what's next? What do we need to do? Absolutely. It's recognizing it and really getting clear on what's happening here and then getting help and going to a safe place, getting um, help from a licensed Christian counselor, really beginning the process of healing. Yeah. And that's why we said at the beginning, and I want to say it again, this is such an important topic. So even if you're thinking, oh, well, this this is not present, you know, abuse isn't present in my relationship, don't tune out. Mm-hmm. Because I guarantee you're going to have a friend, you're going to have a family member, you're going to have someone that God's going to put in your path. And knowing, okay, what do I say? What do I do? Um, that's something that's so important. That's why, you know, we've got some segments coming up. Uh, that we're really going to dive deeper into what abuse looks like. You know, later on, we're going to talk with one of our counselors that focus on the family, Tim Sanford. He's going to talk about what is abuse in marriage and what does that look like and how can we take practical steps to get out of it? And we're also going to hear from one of our listeners. The question is, you know, I think my friend is being emotionally abused. What should I do? So that's what we're saying, that we we all of us need to understand mm-hmm. this if there's some degree of this going on within our own relationship, but also how do we come alongside and support and equip maybe a friend, a loved one who's going through yeah, this? Yeah, for sure. But first, we had an insightful, powerful conversation with our friend Gary Thomas about really understanding the difference between a difficult marriage and an abusive one. And I think that's huge, like to really compare and contrast that. He's an author and close friend of the ministry. So let's listen to the conversation with Gary. I love the priority and the message that you give about marriage. And I know that you've been an ambassador for marriage and fighting for marriage and helping couples get healthier. 
One of my favorite things that you've written actually was a blog called yeah. Enough is Enough. I yeah. think this is back in 2016. And for me, really the essence you, you wrote that if the cost of saving a marriage is destroying a woman, the cost is too high. God loves people more than he loves institutions. And I know you personally. I know what you stand for. I, I You've qualified throughout this blog, you know, I'm, an, I'm the biggest champion for marriage. So, I mean, I knew that. But I just really resonated with, with that message of really just trying to make sure that, that we understand that, that God sent his son to die for people, right. not for marriage. Right. But we were, Aaron and I were just curious of, after that blog came out, was there pushback? What did that look oh, like? What did people it, it say? Was, um, Are you not allowed to go to certain churches now or <laughs> well, areas it, of the country? It did go viral, and I did have a nationally known guy who told me, Gary, if you don't pull this blog down, you will wreck 20 years, 20 years you've spent building a great name. Mm. I think it came out of a pastor's heart. And, and I think we have to – the church doesn't do nuance very well. Mm-mm. Man didn't create marriage, God did. But sometimes the institutions of God can be used for purposes that go against God's heart. And I think the Sabbath is a great example. God created the Sabbath. It was his idea. In the Old Testament, to break the Sabbath could be a capital offense. Mm. Literally, you could be stoned. But then in the New Testament, some people are talking about Jesus and what his disciples are doing. He says, hey, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Yeah. I think the same thing, when divorce is used as a weapon, Jesus said what he said about divorce, I believe, to protect women who were often in, they would be destitute if their husbands left them. Often it meant either they become prostitutes or they become beggars. And you can't use divorce that way. Um, There were first century sources where some women had been divorced 10 times Mm -hmm. and it was becoming the serial, it it was really, it's just adultery. You just go ahead and divorce and then marry someone else. But yeah. that it doesn't – to the legalistic, it justified what the men were doing, mm. but, but it wasn't. And I think we began to take what Jesus said to protect women and we're using it to imprison some women. Yeah. Now, here's what breaks my heart. And here's why I'm glad we have a podcast to do that. I was appalled when I found out some people were using sacred marriage – to keep women in abusive marriages. Oh, gotcha. Well, God can yeah. use the difficulty. Because God well, hates divorce. And, yeah. Uh, there's a difference between a difficult marriage and an abusive marriage. Yeah. Right. But then people come back and say, well, people can misuse enough as enough. And there's not real abuse, but they're using that as an excuse to leave their marriage. Yeah. The reality is that's true. I think some people have misapplied sacred marriage. I think mm-hmm. some people have misapplied enough is enough. And I, I felt terrible. Well, they're going to misapply what you say. I mean, how many times all of us, as we speak publicly, mm-hmm. I, we've heard it. Well, you said this, and th- so I did that. I'm like, I never would have said <laughs> that, that a million not... years. They hear what they want to hear. Well, one of the greatest encouragements was just a couple blocks from here. It's after I'd been here, and I got together with some of the magazine people, and they were out. And I was sharing this because it came up. And one of your coworkers said, and it just blessed me, she goes, Gary, people have been misapplying the Bible right. for yeah. 2,000 years. You go, You're not writing <laughs> yeah, so the why Bible. Are you she complaining? Goes, but, yeah. but we don't want people to stop reading the Bible right. because it gets abused. She goes, yeah. so keep writing. Hmm. People yeah. get it. There's difficult marriages. We, we don't want to pursue divorce for that. But in abuse. And I, and I think, as, especially with that blog, as years have gone by, what I've seen is the difference we have to deal with that nuance because yeah. while Jesus did speak against divorce, 
he also made it clear that our first allegiance is to him. And, and he said some really stark words and he changed the way people looked at family. People were so into family in Jewish circles for a main reason. Family is how faith was passed on. It was through mm. the bloodline. Christians see faith passed on through the blood of Christ, the applied blood of Christ. For the Jewish people, it was the pure bloodline that you were born into the Jewish faith and you yeah. received the promises of Abraham. And Jesus challenged that. I think of in Luke 11, it says, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Because there's no higher calling for a Jewish woman than to pass on the faith yeah. or maybe give birth to the Messiah. In fact, Mary did. Yeah. Wow. So what did Jesus say? Th this is astonishing when you understand how important bloodline was for Jewish people. He replied, Jesus replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And so Jesus is saying a woman's highest calling isn't to be a mother who gives birth hmm. to children. Not that he had a problem with that. Yeah. A woman's highest calling, highest calling is to hear my words yeah. and obey it. So faith is put over progeny, that, that his blood will matter more than others. And he, and he goes on. And another occasion from Matthew 12, when Jesus is talking to this crowd, his mother and brothers are standing outside saying, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And Jesus says, who's my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Mm. So he's putting the church above family in one sense there. He's saying, this is what matters now. Things are changed. And then he goes on another occasion. Well, this was actually earlier in, in Matthew 8 when he was calling people to follow him. And one man said, first, let me go and bury my father. His scholars say his father wasn't actually dead. He was older. And he said, let, let me take care of my family responsibilities and then I'll follow you. And Jesus told him, this is Matthew 8, 22, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Yeah. Now, th these, are, these are extraordinary. But then what really gets me is when you get to Luke 14, verse 26, and Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, the word hate there, missio in the Greek, it's a Semitic comparison word. It doesn't mean what we think of hate where you bear ill will yeah. toward anyone. Yeah. He's not saying that. He's just saying if there's a comparison between my call on your life and anybody else's call on your life, even a spouse, he specifically mentions a spouse, there, there can't be a competition. And we often say, and I often say, that faith holds families together because I believe it's true. Two people following God, filled with the Holy Spirit, can overcome anything. Yeah. I've seen couples overcome yeah. the worst things imaginable, Definitely. sin, addiction, infidelity. If two people are following the Lord, surrendered to God, learning to forgive, applying grace, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that faith will hold them together. But Jesus holds out instances where maybe one doesn't. And they're getting in the way of the most important call of your life, which is Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God to follow Christ's commands. At that point, I think we have to say, 
faith does come first. Now, it can be abused. If a pastor is ignoring his wife and his kids to say, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, I'm like, you know what? You're married to God's daughter. Right. If you're ignoring God's daughter, you're not worshiping yeah. the God who hates mm-hmm. the fact yeah, that is That's not what God so, would want. Again, it's, it's, it's why it's so perilous to just try to deal with this right. because ignoring your family to build your ambition, to build your church, to build your ministry, that's not what right. Jesus is talking about. But in an instance where somebody is, is being destroyed through abuse and we're trying to imprison them in a place where their soul is being destroyed, I can think of two instances. One was a, a man, one was a woman, where they were in toxic, abusive marriages. Now, in both cases, it was their spouse that left them. So I don't know that anybody could judge them. Yeah. I mean, they were, mm. they were divorced. They weren't applying for the divorce. But I'll never forget the moms in both instances came to me as a pastor and said, Gary, I have my son back. Mm. Now, mm. Gary, I have my daughter. There's a light in her face now. She smiled. I heard her laugh. And then God is using them. And this ministry is launched and whatnot. Um, and they were being eclipsed by being married to people that would oppose their faith, oppose what God was calling them to do. Mm. Gary, so talking about difficult versus abusive marriage, what? how can you differentiate those two? This isn't a complete definition. You could do a whole program on right. it, which mm-hmm. is why it's write a book perilous. But I think a main component, if we want to do this in a short way, is safety is key to intimacy. There's a difference between a wife being frustrated by her husband's anger and not feeling safe in the face of her husband's anger. If there's no safety, there's no intimacy. A wife should always feel safe. Mm -hmm. She shouldn't feel threatened. She might feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with her husband's anger because often men express anger in a way. But that's different than feeling like I could be hurt or being afraid uh, to go forward. Any kind of physical abuse is too much. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I tell singles that are dating, one strike and he's out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If, if a guy can't handle his anger, or frankly, a woman can't handle anger without getting physical, they're not mature enough to be married. Right. They uh, need to you, deal with that prior. You, you have yeah. to, yeah, you have to deal with that because crimes are being committed yeah. in the home, and mm. marriage isn't a cover for crimes. The other thing is where um, emotional abuse can become so destructive if you're destroying a person. Mm. Uh, and, and counselors help you get through this, where your, your soul is being destroyed. There's no life. There's no life. Marriage should be life-giving. Uh, and if somebody is, is terrorizing you, emotional abuse can reach the level of trauma, which you know, Aaron, as a counselor, mm-hmm. is literally an injury to the brain, mm-hmm. every bit as much as a broken arm. Uh, Now, this is where I think counseling is so helpful, but I would stress, in this case, individual counseling, not couples counseling first. Is this this normal marital difficulty? Are we going into the level of abuse? Often people just don't know. You want a licensed counselor with experience in this level that can help you talk through this and, and know going forward. Yeah, I really appreciate your differentiation and just explanation. Wow, what a powerful conversation. I I love Gary's wisdom. And as I really think Mm -hmm. about what we were talking about, it's so important to really think through the difference between a a difficult marriage and an abusive marriage. 
And for sure. so I, you know, I think first and foremost, it, it's, it's really moments versus patterns. Mm-hmm. Like moments, I mean, every marriage, we're going to have conflicts. We're going to, we're going to mm-hmm. get triggered. Our buttons will yeah, get triggered. Yeah, and the cycle takes off and yeah. it doesn't um, look pretty most times when the cycle takes off because when people are triggered, their hearts are closed. They're not their best selves. They're not thinking clearly. Right. And we end up saying things, doing things. I mean, I, I look back to, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I, early on when we really were poorly managing conflict. Yeah, especially those first couple of years. Yeah, I remember a time right, where we we were just embattled in some conflict. And I was so triggered. I'm sure you were as well. And I remember you telling me, hey, you know what? I don't want to have this conversation anymore. I just don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. Well, that even triggered me more thinking, what? when have I? I'm not an angry person. I don't raise my <laughs> voice. Like, what? What are, what are you talking about? And yeah. so I was even mad that you were suggesting in my mind mm-hmm. that I wasn't being a safe person. Well, and be- remember, I slammed our door mm-hmm. so hard to our master bedroom because I was so mad. I just wanted to get away from you that it, remember, it broke our door. Yes. And and I was humiliated and literally thinking that's exactly kind of what she was suggesting right then <laughs> and there that, that, that I wasn't safe. But, you know, that for me, well, maybe I should let you answer this. To me, that felt more like a moment. Mm-hmm. Like I was totally well, out of control. I should have. Right. of continued slamming of doors and punching of walls or something like that. It was a moment and it has never happened again. However, so often couples are going, is this abusive? Because the pattern, when the cycle takes off, it's a well-worn pattern. And so it's looking at if this pattern is crossing that line into um, patterns of toxic behavior, of abuse, which is one-sided, and it's an oppressive relationship where one spouse establishes this control in the relationship. And so it's really evaluating when our cycle takes off, what does it look like? Is it one-sided? Is it someone who has consistent control and is gaslighting, shaming, blaming, embarrassing, criticizing, manipulating the other person? Yeah, and we even have a little document that we'll, we'll add into our show notes, 10 signs of emotional abuse. So as you're thinking about this or you have a friend maybe who's been sharing, you know, some things that sound to you like, boy, my friend is being abused. We'll even give you some more clarity. But again, when you think about that pattern of abuse, I think that 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 type of emotional abuse will always involve controlling another person by using emotions to criticize Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. him, embarrass, shame, blame, gaslight, Mm -hmm. you know, or or really trying to manipulate them. So to me, that's the difference. Is Mm -hmm. this a moment or a pattern in Aaron, as you see couples all the time, this, you Mm -hmm. you would be a, you know, a good Christian counselor. So you want to go in and and talk this through. Yeah. Because all of us are going to have differing opinions and strong differences and heated uh, discussions, um, even conflict. And so it's really just evaluating um, what is our pattern? Is it toxic? Is it veering into abuse? Is it full-blown abuse? And sometimes we don't even realize it. And that's why it's so helpful to go in and talk to a licensed Christian counselor to say, is this abuse. Right. And, you know, if you and your spouse are really in that difficult season, so this has been a really tough season and you're looking for some help, we, we've got a great marriage intensive program called Hope Restored. 
really Hope Restore can help you find ways to strengthen your marriage and, and will help you work together to save it. We'll leave the details for that program, Hope Restored, in the show notes. And if you think you might be in an abusive relationship or your friend maybe is in an abusive relationship, we have a video series that really lays out the different types of abuse so you can learn more. It's completely free, and we'll leave a link to that in the show notes as well. Well, let's listen to a conversation that that I had with one of our Focus on the Family counselors, Tim Sanford, talking about abuse and some practical steps that can be taken to get out of a toxic relationship. Tim, you know, what are some common signs that you're in an emotionally abusive relationship, you know, a, a physical one? Well, in a physical or an emotional abusive situation, the symptoms, the behaviors are real varied and change a lot. But behind every symptom, behind every behavior, there is this sense that you'll probably feel before you can put your finger on it. And that's a sense of overpowering you and trying to then control and manipulate you. So behind all of the behaviors and actions, those are going to be the common repetitive themes. Okay. So it's it's more that if you're feeling that this, it seems like everything leads to this feeling of, of being controlled or manipulated, just that, that sense that that's probably a, a good sign that you're in an, right. I mean, an emotionally you, abusive relationship. When he controls the finances, when he controls the car keys, when he controls the passcodes, that's that real obvious controllingness. When he isolates you from your friends and your family, that's maybe not quite as obvious, but that's still that controllingness. On the physical side, of course, the hitting, slapping, pinching, that's a physical overpowering blocking you so that you can't leave you know, the room. That's a physical sign. Throwing things, that's that overpowering you. And, and with that, kind of the big thing is it's not just, oh, it happened once, he got upset, he slammed his fist on the table. It's more of a purposefulness. There's a calculatedness to it, and it's repetitive. It's a theme. And that's why a lot of times you start to feel something's not right. Yeah, I don't like this. Yeah, a moment this versus a pattern. Yes, a pattern. Yeah, because certainly we can... You know, with it, with all of us can show up in moments that are ugly and like, what, well, what did I just do or why did I do that? Versus, you know, if this is something that just happens again and again and again. And that's why we're careful to say, oh, just because he got angry, that's abuse. Right. You know, and oh, he, you know, yelled at me. So that's verbal abuse. Of what? We all make mistakes. We all do dumb, stupid things. Yeah. Uh, and we regret them later, and we right. even go back and apologize. But again, it's that calculatedness, it's that purposefulness for the sake of putting you down and again, exerting that power over you and then controlling you, either your physical behaviors or your mental cognitions. I'm trying to attempt to control you. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, then what would what would kind of be a first step if if a spouse is feeling abused? Um, because this this happens to both men and women, more for women, certainly. Um, but what, what would that first step look like in terms of leaving that relationship? Well, if it's not a life-threatening situation, okay, let's put that one aside. Because if it is life-threatening, then you need to leave, get out, grab what you can, exactly. and go. If it's not life-threatening, the first big step is to make a plan. Don't just leave. Don't just grab the kids. Don't just threaten to go. Make a plan. And that plan may take several days, weeks, it may even take a month or two to pull all those pieces of the plan together. 
Because when you leave, we tend to think, oh, whew, it's all going to be okay now. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. And it may last longer than a weekend. So some examples of what to think about in that plan. Number one, where are you going to go? Hmm. Again, think long-term, not just a weekend. I can go to a hotel. Long-term, where can I go to stay for a month or two, six months if necessary? What resources am I going to need? Finances, money in my pocket, access to the money in the finances, the credit card, uh, getting a set of car keys. Um, and then what other kind of possessions? What about your laptop computer for work? What about things if there's kids involved? What do they need to keep living and keep going? So what are those possessions that you need? Another thing that we tend to not think about because you're so scrambled in that chaotic environment is, okay, what kind of legal, medical, hmm. and financial documents might you need? Okay. Um, yes, you know, your financial information. If you have a passport, the kids birth certificates, those kind of things. Think about that. This is all part of that plan. And that's why it takes a while. What I also encourage people to do here in this early first step, get some legal counsel. Hmm. You may not act on it yet. Okay. But get some legal counsel that so you know what the legal system does and doesn't do when you leave. Especially, especially within your state, because every state can be a little bit different. Within your state, and especially if there's kids involved. Right. That's very critically important, because if you don't know what the legal situation is, chances are he will, and he'll use it against you. Mm. So that first step is that put this big plan together, get the support and the people I need, and have a good, solid plan. So was that that person then leaves that physically, that, that abusive relationship, what does healing look like? So if, if now I'm trying to begin to take some of those steps towards healing, where, where does someone begin? I would begin, first of all, by saying, keep your guard up. Okay. Meaning, because we tend to think, well, I'm, I left, the kids are gone from him, we can relax now. No, that's usually when things get worse before they get better. Hmm. So number one, keep your guard up. Number two, I would encourage a Christian licensed therapist yeah. to talk through with because there's some things maybe in your scrambled mind that you're not even thinking about have impacted you. Mm -hmm. And not all therapists have the same expertise. And so somebody who has an expertise or a working understanding of domestic violence right. would be preferable with that, definitely. So that'd be your support there. Again, other friends around. Some people need a physical checkup with their doctor. Again, is do I have high blood pressure because of what I've been living in? I don't know. Do I have post-traumatic stress disorder that I'm not even aware of? Yeah. Again, a clinician can diagnose some of those things, but a couple times it might be good to have that physical checkup. And finally, I think this is one of the biggest things when I've talked to, to women leaving is be kind and patient and gentle with yourself. Mm. He hasn't been kind, gentle, and patient with you. Yeah. And you've been in an environment where you've missed that. And what's going to help you in your healing journey is for you to learn or to remember how to be kind, gentle, and patient with yourself. Yes, you'll heal. Uh, most likely it'll be longer than you wish right. to take. But that kind, that gentleness with yourself, and particularly if you have kids, they need to see mom being patient with herself and mom healing. What do you think is the most difficult part of of putting all those boundaries in place. I've left, now I'm trying to heal. What, what, what's probably the hardest part of doing that? Because we don't want this to be true. Mm. And so we'll believe any little hint and... 
that it's okay now. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll be prone to want to go back too quickly. We'll want to then think, oh, I just overreacted again, which is his voice inside of you know my head and all those things because I'll want to make it as if it wasn't real. Um, one of the phrases I use a lot in counseling is, whenever we fight reality, we lose. <laughs> There's that tendency to fight reality. He really didn't mean it. All of these kind of this voices. will get better. He'll change. Yes. Yeah. Oh, look, he went down front and found Jesus. So it's all better now. And he's repentant. He said all of those things. And that's where I want to bite and go back because I, I don't want this to be true. Yeah. And, and that's why we don't recommend that the focus beyond the the marital relationship through this season. I mean, the individuals need to heal. The individuals need to get help in trying to go, okay, maybe I'm seeing some change. And kind of, as you talked about, maybe we need to get in and do marriage counseling now versus, you know, Jesus came to die for people, not for institutions. Jesus did not come to die for marriage. I love marriage. You are passionate yes, about marriage. Yes. So it's not against marriage. The point is, is that the individuals need to do a lot of healing, a lot of growing. And that's really where this focus needs to be. And, and I think in our Christian circles, we're told a lot to trust people, we trust authority, trust this, trust your yeah. husband, trust your spouse, trust, trust, trust. And we get it backwards. No, you know, look at their lifestyle, are they trustworthy mm-hmm. first? And so some of this is, okay, what's the definition of trustworthy? Yeah. And you might that's where you might need to talk with a therapist of how do I even build a definition of what that is? How would you define it? I, I use a three-legged stool example, and okay. it, it's, it's at least a good place to start. So the first leg is what he says and what he does match hmm. over a long period of time. Okay. And a lot of people get that one. The second leg of the stool is what he says today and what he says tomorrow matches hmm. over a long period of time. So there's a consistency and a constancy. And then the third leg of the stool is what he does today and what he does tomorrow matches hmm. over a long period of time. So you see the, the, the three, the, what he says and what he does, what he says and what he says, what he does and what he does, they all match hmm. over a long period of time. That's, That's at least a good starting point. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I like that. And uh, it's I, easy to remember the three-legged stool. With that, yeah, and and uh, I used to work at a camp here in Colorado, and so the lake would freeze over in the wintertime, and we'd go ice skating on it and play hockey. But in the springtime, it starts to melt around the edge, and so you don't just run out on the ice. You stand on the edge, and you stomp on it a couple feet to see if it's safe. Yeah. So you're going to test, rather than just trust him, you're going to test and test, is he really trustworthy mm-hmm. or not? That's hard to do because it doesn't look Christian-y and nicey-nicey. And, and no, this is, yeah. let's go to some red letter words in, in the New Testament here, Jesus' own words to his disciples. I'm sending you into a world of wolves. Well, hello, there's our first clue. <laughs> Therefore, be shrewd as snakes, hmm. innocent as doves. I have never heard a sermon on how to be shrewd as a snake. Yeah, I mean, I'm a true. preacher's kid. I've been in church since before I was born. Yeah. And I've never heard that. Hmm. We need to be street smart. Yes, with integrity, with honesty. That's the innocent as dove. And this is one of those times where you need to be street smart. Hmm. And one of the pieces with this a lot I've heard is, well, I don't want to tell anybody and I don't want people to know. They're going to know. Right. Because he's going to tell them. Hmm. And he's going to tell his version of it. And so part of being shrewd as a snake is the old lawyer phrase, he who tells his story first 
usually gets believed the most. Mm. So part of that plan, I would say, is figure out who you're going to tell. Your family needs to know. Whether you're close with them or not, your family needs to know. Your employer needs to know. Mm. Your school needs to know. If you have children, their principal, their teacher, their school counselor, they need to know. If you're part of a church, somebody in leadership needs to know. And some key other people might need to know. And then you tell your story as factually as you can. So if you have to write it out, but that's part of being that street smart. You got to tell your story first. Such good advice. And I think that is just right on as far as telling your story factually, writing it out. Years ago, sat with a couple who um, they had had, again, that pattern of behavior in their marriage, an abusive pattern in their marriage. And sitting individually with the wife, she really honestly did not understand that what was happening was abuse. She knew it wasn't working, and she knew there were things that were crossing lines with her, but she didn't know to define it as abuse. And then also the impact on her, the trauma she was experiencing as a result of it. And so what I encouraged was for the wife to get into some individual work and to start really processing what has been happening in my marriage over the last, you know, 25 plus years and to begin that healing process with healing the impact of it. You know, if you need help figuring out what your next step should be in your marriage, please give us a call here at Focus on the Family. As we heard from Tim, we have amazing Christian counselors who want to help, so we'll leave all the details in the show notes. Well, now it's time for our weekly Q&A, and this is the part of the show where we answer your questions about marriage. Please send us your marriage questions. Go to our website and click the button on the side of our show page to leave us a voicemail. And if it gets answered on the show, we're going to send you a copy of our book, Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage, 12 Secrets to a Lifelong Romance, for no charge, for free, as our way of saying thank you for listening and reaching out to us. Well, today's question comes from Rebecca, who lives in California, and she says, I think that my friend is being emotionally abused in her marriage. How can I, as her friend, help her without overstepping? Do I you know, need to get my church involved or maybe find a counselor? I'm just not sure what to do. Mm, that's so tough because especially seeing someone you love being mistreated and you're like, does this meet the criterion for abuse? Is it emotionally abusive? And again, in the show notes, we have a list of the qualifiers for emotional abuse. I would say first and foremost, it's going to your friend and letting her know you want to talk to her about something that's tender and could be painful, but that you care about her and that you're concerned and, you know, that I really want to have a a conversation with you, an honest conversation with you about what's going on in this relationship. Yeah. And to really, first and foremost, make it all about supporting her. She needs to know that you believe her. That's mm-hmm. right. You're, you're not saying, well, gosh, I mean, your husband, he seems so nice. He really doesn't seem to be that way with me. Or, you know, relationships aren't perfect. You know, all couples have problems. Because really that that's, feels very invalidating. And then that person will tend to, to feel judged and to shut down. Well, and, and probably to start won't. believing that maybe it's me. Yeah. Am I the problem? And so it's important to well, really... Well, they've probably been told that, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, they've absolutely, I'm guessing, been told that. 
typically when someone is being abused, the other individual tends to be a bit controlling, sometimes self righteous, critical. That's the gaslighting. Yes, is, you're you're crazy. I'm not doing any of that. Yeah. And so it's recognizing if they're sharing with you, what an opportunity just to meet them there and validate. You don't have to agree with what they're saying. You may have seen something different, but you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. Absolutely. In the opportunity to support your friend, I believe you. I'm here for you. You're providing that that empathy, you know, that validation. I'm so glad that you told me and I, you know, I want to walk this out with you. It, it, just that message here, you are so not alone. Mm-hmm. I'm here with you. But but to then really make sure that she understands that, that you deserve to be safe. Because again, part of that abuse, that culture of abuse is that, you know, maybe the, the lie is that somehow this is your fault or you, you deserve this, but they, they don't. And she doesn't. And she deserves to be safe. Her children mm-hmm. deserve to be safe. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the right to receive protection. Absolutely. And so I encourage you, Rebecca, that you don't have to go at this alone. Have the conversation with your friend, but that encourage her to get help. And maybe you can be the strength that she needs to reach out. Go to a pastor, go to a mentor, go to a licensed Christian counselor, get help. Help her reach out to the National Domestic Violence Hotline. It's 1-800-799-7233, or even um, you can look at this online at thehotline.org. Well, thanks, Rebecca, for your question. And and look out for your copy of Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage. And if you're listening today and have a question for us, contact us. Give us your question. We'd love to answer that. Go to our website and click on the button on the side of our show page to leave us a voicemail. Thank you for joining us for Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage. We are so glad you had a seat at the table today for this important topic of abuse. Yeah, be sure to like, listen, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We want you to have a seat at the table every week as we help equip you and your spouse to have a lifelong, satisfying marriage. We also want to help you grow spiritually both as individuals and together so that you can invest in other couples to help them build thriving marriages. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week about this crazy little thing called marriage. Is your marriage holding on by a thread? For deep hurt, you need deep healing that only comes from the Lord. And you'll find it at a Focus on the Family Hope Restored Intensive in Michigan. Our licensed Christian counselors will help you and your spouse get to the root of your issues in just three to five days. And it works. 80% of the couples are still married two years after attending. Learn more at HopeRestored.com and talk with a trusted advisor. That's HopeRestored.com.